0: Welcome to Season 2 Women in STEM Podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and expect from this season amazing guest host speakers from around the world and information that will help enrich your life and knowledge about women in STEM. Welcome to the Women in STEM Podcast, and today we'll be discussing about motherhood, disability, and engineering, so we have a lot to go through today. And I'm here with Sherry Bernheber, and today we'll be talking about her experience and learning a lot more. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself, please?
1: Sure, so as you said, I'm Sherry Bernheber. I have been working in tech now for more than 40 years. I have three daughters. Um, In fact, I'm graduating from being a teenage mother tomorrow. My youngest daughter's turning 20. uh, And I am speaking with you from uh, Silicon Valley.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing. And I, I know if anyone has already look to you up on the internet or look to your LinkedIn, you've already gotten so much information available. But for those who might be new into finding out about you, um, what has been your career path so far and what's your current occupation?
1: Sure, so for about the last 15 years, uh, my entire focus has been on uh, advocacy for people with disabilities. Um, specifically right now uh, concerning technology. And so that field is referred to as accessibility. And accessibility is about making things work, uh, whether it's software or physical environments for people with disabilities. So I started off with a degree in computer science. I did software testing for about 10 years. Uh, At the end of that, I was uh, a senior manager for a major, stock brokerage with uh, six million users, Uh, then I got involved with some litigation that involved uh, whether or not some software had been sufficiently tested. So the U.S. is a very litigious society. There's a lot of lawsuits filed and there's this field called being an expert witness. And I'm making air quotes around expert witness where you come in and testify as the expert about what should have been done versus what had been done. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I finished working on that case, I realized that the lawyers didn't understand software, the software people didn't understand the law, and it was a really interesting problem solving exercise that appealed to me. So I ended up going to law school and then in my thinking, I was going to do software law, and then in my third year of law school, we discovered that my daughter was losing her hearing—my my then middle daughter. So um, I ended up going into ag- advocacy for the deaf uh, rather than um, rather than software law, and then from there uh, ended up going into the field of accessibility. And as I said, that's where I've been for about the last fifteen years.
0: Okay, I mean the next question I was going to ask you is, you know did your career path go as, ex- as expected but from what absolutely start, not <laughs> <it's really laughs> uh, i have
1: i've done a degree every 10 years uh plus or minus uh my family's joking right now about whether when when am i going to start my phd not if i'm going to start my phd but when i'm going to start my phd so um so I've definitely done um, a couple of major pivots along the way. Um, I also had a, a six year uh, stint in in the middle of raising my children where I was a single mother uh, while I was going to law school. So that was uh, that was kind of interesting. So um, I have myself a mobility disability, which is congenital. Um, I've had, 24 surgeries I think at the last time I counted Uh, so uh, I have the perspective both as somebody with a disability but also as the parent of somebody uh, with a disability.
0: And so yeah that kind of like (laughs) I feel like you've kind of already answered the question but just um, for perspective with regards to your disability um, what has this been something that has impacted your career and if so in what ways has it impacted your career?
1: Um, well, I would say definitely it's impacted my career. So I was 25 before the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. So I did uh, my, my first round of college and all my uh, secondary, uh, at my K-12 education uh, without the protection uh, of any laws saying that you can't be discriminated against because you're disabled. Um, I was fortunate that i w- in the us i was born in the very first year or i went started school in the very first year where main where children were going to be mainstreamed so if i'd been born a year earlier i would have been shunted off to the special school for kids with disabilities but instead because my disability was only physical, um, I ended up going uh, to school with uh, with non-disabled classmates, um, and I, you know, I'm a very strong believer in mainstreaming because I think um, that that definitely um, impacted you know, who I ended up being. Um, I was also very fortunate that um, I was born to college-educated parents. Uh, there was never any expectation that I wouldn't go to college. You know, my, my parents treated myself and my sister equally. So um, there are a lot of times kids with disabilities, um, they're, they're expected to underperform. And when you lower the bar, that's the bar the children end up meeting. Um, so my parents had a very high bar uh, for me, and uh, and I think I met that.
0: And one thing I noticed in your LinkedIn bio is that you said you're an inclusion leader. So what does that mean exactly? So in the
1: US, uh, typically in corporations, we call it DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And some of the larger companies in the US include disability in that. Uh, Many companies do not. So that's one of the things that I write about quite frequently is how companies are missing out when they exclude disability um, from their DEI uh, approaches because uh, disability affects 18% of the population we're actually the largest minority out there if you look at disability as as a single thing. So so that's one of the areas that I focus on is uh, disability. And then I also do focus on women in STEM. I do a lot of work with uh, Girls Who Code or Black Girls Code uh, and boot camps and non-traditional education environments where I teach people who might be um, underrepresented uh, minorities, I teach them how to do accessibility, which is the, the software specialty uh, that I work in.
0: And how can people be allies to inclusion? How can people, um, you know, how best would you want people to help other people who, are exper- who have disabilities and are struggling with it or want to have more visibility? So
1: one interesting thing about allyship is I think people don't understand that they can't declare themselves allies, that Mm -hmm. the members of the community have to declare them allies. So for example, I am am cisgender. Um, I am an ally uh, to the LGBTQ community because one of my children identifies as LGBTQ. Um, But that community named me an ally. I didn't name myself an ally. And I gained that allyship by doing things like going out and campaigning against Proposition 8, which was a, a, a gay marriage uh, proposition in California many years ago, um, and uh, you know working with fundraisers and doing, doing various events. So thinking from that perspective, how do you make yourself an ally of somebody in the disability community? Well, first of all, don't make assumptions, right? Because when you make assumptions, things quite frequently go wrong. The person with a disability, especially if it's a long-standing disability, they know what they need, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of times, uh, if I go to a conference and I put on the conference uh, that I'm a wheelchair user, they'll, they'll keep a seat out in the back row for me so that I can fit my wheelchair in and they think they're doing me a favor. Um, but in fact, I also have glaucoma, which is a hidden disability, and I prefer sitting in the middle. So rather than, you know, working for me by setting aside that seat, which it turns out that's the seat I don't want, working with me by saying, where would you like to sit, um, you know, it's, it's much easier and it solves the problem for everybody uh, without having to make me ask, um which you know then starts to devolve into into special treatment and people with disabilities don't want to think uh that their accessibility needs are special treatment because they're not they're just what we need to be equal to everybody else
0: yeah i definitely think you raised a very good point um i haven't really disclosed this on my social media or anything like this but i am dyslexic and i found out when i was about 18 I was dyslexic so this was when I was going into university and sometimes I hear in conversations people talking about other dyslexic people and some of the symptoms that they think people with dyslexia have or some of the issues that they think that we are going through is completely not what I have experienced or what many dyslexic people experience. So I think people do tend to make assumptions and those assumptions at first can be, you know, their way of wanting to support, but it can also be very dangerous as well.
1: Exactly. They think yeah. they think they're trying to help, but it's actually the opposite. People need to understand that every single disability is a spectrum. Um, you know, look at hearing loss, for example. You can have adult hearing loss that's mild in the higher frequencies from too many rock and roll concerts, or you can have congenital profound hearing loss um, that's impacted you your entire life. So, my daughter's hearing loss was progressive. She lost a good chunk of her hearing by the time she was about five she does not consider herself disabled she knows how to cope she's dealt with this for now 26 years you know plus the five um other people who woke up with her level of hearing loss they would consider themselves severely disabled even though it would be the exact same medical condition. So you can't look at the medical condition and people are just naturally trained to focus on the diagnosis. Instead, you need to focus on the impact on the individual and what is it that they've figured out as their uh, coping mechanism uh, to work around their disability.
0: Yes, definitely. And now we're just going to switch gears a bit And I know that you've made mention to your children um, quite a few times with your responses, but I kind of just wanted to know, like, with regards to being a mother, and I know you said that you also uh, have taken time out of work and stuff like that. With regards to being a mother and being successful, are those two things that can exist within a sentence for, for, for a woman? Or do you think those are two things that have to be separate?
1: Well, I'm living proof that that they can exist together, but there there has to be some intentionality behind it. Um, The biggest issue with taking time off for for parenting or for maternity leave when you're uh, when you're in tech is the is the field continues to move very quickly. And especially if you're taking off, let's say, a couple of years you could be an entire generation uh, behind in terms of technology by the time you come back. So it's really important that if you're taking time off that you still need to keep your skills up, uh, you know, at least have one toe dipped into the field um, so that uh, when you come back, the first question is going to be, well, you know, did you keep up with the technology while you're gone? I mean, especially if you're working in an area like cybersecurity or machine learning that's literally changing on a month-by-month basis, it, it, it is quite important to keep up with what's going on.
0: And just to add on to what you've said, I know here in the UK, there are some initiatives for women returning to STEM, um, especially like in tech. So if you are a woman who's maybe... Out of work for a while for whatever reason, you can maybe look into that to try and get the support and um, making sure that you're going to an employer that's not going to hold that against you by any means. Um, yeah, v-
1: VMware has a returnship uh, program called Tara. It's T A A R A, and it's focused in India, uh, but we help women who've taken breaks uh, for for whatever reason uh, to get back into into the tech field.
0: And with regards to, you know, being a mother and managing all of that, how, what has been your best advice or what would you recommend for work-life balance?
1: Work-life balance. Um, So my first daughter uh, spent about 20 hours a week at the ice rink uh, for several years. She was a competitive figure skater and uh, hockey uh, player. And so um, I actually did most of my studying for the the law exams uh, for what we call in the U.S. the bar. Uh, I, I did most of my studying at the at the ice rink while she was uh, in sometimes in the car because it was really cold in the ice rink and I don't like cold. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, multitasking is, is your friend. And when I say multitasking, I don't mean doing two things at the same time necessarily because that's uh, something that uh, people thinks works, but works better for some people than others. Um, but actually, combining. Uh, two things so you know for your waiting time you know go you know go to a webinar uh, you know read read a couple of magazine articles uh, that are relevant uh, to your work um, I've done you know countless uh, what uh, zoom calls from my car while I was you know waiting to pick up children in, at school or you know at doctor's appointments or what have you um, but uh, there, there really can't be a whole lot in the way of wasted time, especially when you're a single mother. I know my, my, da- my daughter with hearing loss said that she was 12 before she realized that not all moms did vocabulary exercises in the car with the children. <laughs> so I made them all do it together. I didn't want my, my daughter with hearing loss to, think, to, to feel singled out. Yeah. Um, and she, she thought that was normal. She thought that's what everybody did. <laughs> but we do spend a lot of time driving in the U.S., especially in California, uh, because yeah. California is such a big state. So, you know, the a similar example for the U.K. might be, you know, reading a magazine article while you're on the tube, you know, with your children yeah. you know, to, go, to go shopping or something like that. Um, just, you know, try, try to make use... Uh, of of all of the um, time that you have uh, to to really uh, stay up uh, with what's going on um, in your field.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see how that can be useful. And I know oftentimes with mothers, uh, time tends to be something that seems to run away quite a bit. So definitely making sure to utilize those breaks or times when you might have a bit of Free time to make sure that you stay up to date with the latest technology. Yeah, and it does require planning. I mean, you'd yes. have to,
1: for example, download uh, articles or podcasts that you you know kind of have a backlog on your phone, so that if you don't have an internet connection, you still you still have that um, material available to you.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so I know you said that you're very passionate about women in STEM, and with regards to you know we we have this podcast here to try and help and empower women but what has been common mistakes that you've seen women in stem make
1: i, I think honestly the mis- the mistakes are made before the women decide to go into stem so um you know you get a lot of uh girls you know at that point because they're not women dropping out of math dropping out of science because they're not getting the support that they need to be successful um and i think that's where the where some of the you know that's where the pipeline problem starts right uh when i did my computer science degree uh it was about 90 percent men 10 percent women because this was back in the 80s um, and then there was kind of a peak sort of in the mid 90s and and now it started to drop off again um, so I think, uh, the mistakes aren't the women's mistakes, the mistakes are the lack of support, um, in the environment that they're in to, to make the choices to either go to STEM or stay in STEM. Um, because like I said, it's in te- it has to be intentional, uh, being, being in STEM doesn't happen by accident.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to know if you had any advice for women in STEM with regards to how to deal with rejection or bouncing back from a career setback.
1: Bouncing back from a career setback. Um, so I had a, a situation, um, I, I was the head of accessibility for McDonald's and then I left McDonald's and I took a, a contract uh, position uh, at a, grocery company, it would have, you know, it would be like Tesco, um, in, in the, in the UK, it's, it's the biggest grocery store in the U S. and I stayed there for about five months. And, uh, then, uh, we had a situation where basically everybody who was supporting my work got laid off. And so, you know, all of a sudden I was an Island of one person trying to fight for inclusion at a company that really didn't care. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I think I think you need to be careful about where you invest your energy. So people have only so much energy to invest, right? And there's only so long that you can bang your head against a brick wall. And I think one of the th- mistakes that I see women do is they stay too long in an environment that's clearly unsupportive of them. So mm-hmm. don't assume that you can change the environment. Assume that you have to change uh, and, and go to a different environment is, I would say, um, one, one thing uh, to keep in mind. I, I definitely saw that one as a setback. But then I ended up taking the job at VMware, um, where I've been very successful over the last four years, and i'm I'm very happy to have helped build the accessibility program that we have there today.
0: Yeah, that's definitely very insightful. And with regards to like rejection, I know sometimes when women are applying for jobs, they might experience getting rejected from a job. Do you have uh, have have you had any experience with that? And do you have any advice? Because I know sometimes it can be quite frustrating being a woman in STEM, especially when you're going through lots of different interviews and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so a couple things. The first thing is don't take it personally. When you apply for a job, there are plenty of reasons that you can get rejected for the job that have nothing to do with you at all. You know, mm-hmm. We have rules around jobs having to be posted publicly in the US, even though maybe somebody internally has already been selected for the role. It's just that it has, you know, it's a rule that it has to be posted for 10 days. Um, we have things uh, called evergreen recs. Uh, that's what we call them in the US where they're out there just to solicit resumes. There actually isn't a job open, and the recruiters are just looking for resumes. And then maybe if they see something that's outstanding, then they take that resume and try to match it up to a rec. Um, Sometimes they're open for visa reasons. Um, So just because you get a rejection letter doesn't mean that they even looked at your resume. Um, All it means is that for whatever reason, uh, you know, that they've picked somebody else or, you know, that job never really had uh, a position associated with it. Um, The other thing you can do is um, try to, um, try to de-gender your resume. I mean, I hate recommending people do this, uh, but, you know, just use your first initial instead of your full first name. If, uh, if you have a first name that makes it obvious what your gender is. Um, So that's uh, something that I know that people have done Um, a couple of other things that I know that are specific uh, to women to do with their resumes is don't put too much work history because then it reflects your age. I think that's both a a male and female thing. Like my resume doesn't say when I graduated from college, right? Because then you can tell how old I am. Uh, And and that's something that might work against you um, in in a job setting. Um, And if you have gaps instead of, so we have these things called uh, automated tracking, no, Applicant tracking systems, ATS, applicant tracking systems, where resumes actually get processed by a machine before they ever get to a human.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and sometimes people will set up rules saying, well, if there's more than a six-month gap, I don't want to look at that resume. And it automatically gets discarded and automatically gets a rejection letter. So if you took six months off because you were caregiving or uh, you know for whatever reason, put a, a job in there, right? And, and identify what you did during those six months. Even if it was just you know traveling to get a better world perspective, put that in there because then that's gonna get your resume past the applicant tracking system into a human because sometimes the rejections are coming from software, they're not coming from people. And you have to figure out how to put your resume together in a way to get past uh, the machine.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's definitely some great tips that I hadn't even thought about with regards to dealing with rejection and how to, you know, keep on putting yourself out there and tips on how to manage sometimes the equality, inequality that is placed on us as women. And with regards to that, um, do you also have, just in general, with regards to women, do you have any recommendation of resources that you've, I don't know, books or or movies that you've watched that have really inspired you or helped you along your journey?
1: Well, I must say my favorite movie, um, which I've watched uh, with my oldest daughter, I don't know how many times is A League of Their Own. I don't know if that movie uh, was made much of a splash in the UK, but it was a Tom Hanks movie and Madonna and Gina Davis were in it and it was about uh, women's baseball league. Uh, that occurred for several years uh, during World War II when the men were off fighting the war and not available uh, to play baseball. Um, it's hard to be first and it's it's hard to blaze a trail for other people. So being able to watch um, in a historical context, even though it's obviously a bit fictionalized, um, you know, a group of women doing the same thing long before I was born um, really helps reinforce me, to me that other people have done it before and, and that I can do it too. Um, and, the, and of course, the other thing I always go back to is my great aunt. Um, I'm, I'm from an area of Canada called New Brunswick. Uh, so it's a kind of a rural area in, in Northeast Canada. And she was the first woman to get a PhD in New Brunswick. Um, and she actually had to leave the province to do it. The college in New Brunswick wouldn't let her get a PhD. So she had to go to Quebec to do it. and this was back in 1925. So um, you know, women have been blazing trails since forever, and um, you, you just have to be intentional about about what you're doing and why and and really be committed to getting it done.
0: I'll definitely have to check out that movie. It sounds sounds great. And how best can people get in contact with you? Do you have any social medias that people can uh, follow you on or get in contact with you via?
1: Yeah, so my my last name is fairly rare. It's uh, B-Y-R-N-E hyphen H-A-B as in boy E-R. Um, so, if you Google that, uh, you're going to either find me or my daughters. So, uh, we're, we're not difficult to locate. I do spend a fair amount of time on LinkedIn, and I'm going to have a couple of exciting uh, LinkedIn announcements coming up at the end of June. So, people will definitely want to uh, stay tuned for those.
0: Wow, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that. And I'll also make sure to leave um, some of your. Uh, l- links in the description of the s- podcast so people can check those out as well. But thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for sharing your experience and your advice. Do you have anything else that you want to add?
1: No, I think uh, we we basically covered what we intended to cover today. I mean, nothing is impossible. You, you just have to make a plan and, and execute to the plan.
0: Definitely. And once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you to the amazing guest host speaker. And thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and to follow me on social media at Kelly underscore engineer on Twitter or Instagram. As well as please make sure to check out our new YouTube channel called Women in STEM Podcast. To see our latest episodes visually. Until next time, bye!